Our scripture passage this morning is John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. That can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,663, and it's like right there at the end of page 1,663 where this passage begins. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word... He will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Father, enlighten our minds that we may receive by your word, through your word, your grace, that we may come to know more deeply and truly, who our Savior Jesus Christ is. Amen. It might help us to remember the reason why John wrote his gospel before we consider today's text. John chapter 20 The gospel writer himself, the apostle whom Jesus loved, tells us why he wrote these words. He says, Jesus did many other miracles. This is John chapter 20, verse 30. He did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing... You may have life in his name. For that reason, it seems very fitting that this morning's theme would be to believe in Christ is to live. And that might sound very simple, but I pray that as we go through our passage this morning, you'll see why. That theme is being brought before us. I want to do something a little different than what we've done so far as we've been looking at the Gospel of John. I want to look at 
three examples that are put before us in this passage. Three characters, we could say. And I want to look closely at each one of them and compare them, contrast them. And the three examples are the example of the Jews, the example of Abraham, and then the example of Jesus, or Jew's example, Abraham's example, Christ's example. For it's easy to say to believe in Christ is to have eternal life or believe in Christ and live, but often we don't sit and consider the, the fact that why is it that faith in Jesus is a life-giving exchange? And that's what I hope to look at this morning might help us if we understand where we're at in the Gospel of John. Of course, we've been looking at John chapter 8 for some time. At the beginning of it, Jesus proclaimed that he was the light of the world. And then, of course, the Pharisees challenged his claim. And then, continuing on, Jesus proclaimed that he was the great I Am, the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, who was given Uh, the throne, a kingdom and dominion that would never pass away. And they were having this interaction, this interaction between Jesus and these Jews. And finally, Jesus says, I want to tell you why you do not hear God and why I'm telling you that you are children of the devil. And that's because you do not belong to God. You do not hear God because you do not belong to God. And that's where we Start off here in verse 48 when it says, the Jews answered him. What were they answering? They were answering his accusation, Jesus' accusation to them that they do not belong to God. So let's look first at the Jews' example then, okay? We're going to go through this text and we're going to focus upon the Jews responding to Jesus, their interaction with him. The Jews is a short word for the religious leaders for John, Pharisees, Sadducees. Uh, scribes and Pharisees, so on and so forth. So in verse 48, it says, The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? So Jesus says to them, You're of your father the devil, and you do not belong to God. And this is what the Jews said. Oh, we're, we're, our father's the devil, and we do not belong to God? No, actually, uh, we're just going to put that back on you. Na 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 na. Basically. You're Samaritan, you're demon possessed. What are they trying to bring forward here in this accusation? They're trying to, to discredit Jesus' perspective on what true faith, true Jewish faith is. They're trying to discredit Jesus as a rabbi. So they say, You're a Samaritan. Well, at the time, Samaritans were not only crossbreeds, as they, they would say from Jews. Not only are they not true Jewish, they don't have true Jewish lineage, but they're synchronistic in their religious beliefs. So they take a little bit of Jewish tradition and they mix it with a little bit of pagan tradition and they kind of come up with something that's not pure, not true. And so they're saying Jesus, you could only say these things if you're demon-possessed. If you're demon-possessed. This is the Jews here telling God 
that he's demon-possessed. We're looking at the Jews' example, right? Jesus responds, I'm not demon-possessed. I honor my Father. I'm not seeking my own glory. And then in verse 51, he says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Greek here is important because it says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my logos, my teaching, he will never, ever taste death. This is Jesus very powerfully proclaiming that those who believe in him, who keep his word, who hold on to his logos, his teaching, his person, will never taste death, experience death. Of course, that is a very bold claim. And so this is how the Jews respond. Now we know that you are demon-possessed. You verified it for us. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? What are the Jews saying here? The Jews are saying that, that Abraham, of all people, Abraham, the father of the Jews, if anyone deserved to not taste death... It would be Abraham, his character, Abraham, who he was. Abraham, he is, he is the epitome of a faithful and righteous Jew. Of course, probably whitewashing Abraham's story a, a little bit, right? Because he liked to give his wife Sarah away to, to foreign kings. But this is what they're saying. If Abraham died, if the prophets died... And of all people, they are deserving to have never tasted death. And how can you, Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter's son, a nobody who didn't even get trained under a, a well-known rabbi, say that if somebody keeps your teaching, they'll never taste death. So now, these Jews have not only dishonored Jesus, but they believe he's being prideful and arrogant in his claims. Once again, these are the Jews telling God that he's claiming too much for himself. Of course, Jesus replies in verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. This is a constant refrain for Jesus I'm not seeking my own glory. My, God, my, my Father, He's the one who is seeking glory for me. Though you do not know Him, I know Him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. And then verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. We're going to come back to this when we look at Abraham's example. But the Jews' response is one of unbelief. You're not yet 50 years old, Jesus. How could you have seen Abraham? How could you have seen Abraham? Once again, John is showing us almost the humor of this whole exchange. Because for the Jews, they're so tied to the physicality of what Jesus is saying. They're so tied to the earthly realities of what Jesus is saying that they think, really, that Jesus is saying 
that he's old enough to have lived during Abraham's day. Now, in a sense, he was, but we'll get to that, right? You're not even 50 years old, Jesus. You've seen Abraham? You've seen Abraham. Here are the Jews. Now believing here that God is lying. Verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Or before Abraham was, I am. And here at verse 59, we see the, the climax of this entire exchange, the climax of this interaction. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. That is, they realize in that moment that what Jesus is saying before Abraham was, I am, is a claim to deity, and they don't even want to take the time for a trial. They don't even want to take the time to have uh, people stand in testimony of Jesus or not. They pick up stones to stone him right then and there. They're so angered with his proclamation that he is the I am of Exodus. But he is saying, before Abraham was, I am. They want to kill him. So once again, here are the Jews trying to kill God for claiming to be God. This is what I want us to get when it comes to the Jews' example. If you couldn't tell already, they're not the good example being put forward here this morning. The Jews in this passage, epitome, they are the epitome of, of unbelief. They are our perfect example of what hard-hearted unbelief looks like. That in the face of the light of the world, in the face of the revelation of Jesus Christ, they dishonor him, they claim that he's prideful, they say that he's lying, and they try to kill him for being, being God, for claiming to be God. That's the Jews' example. Unbelief on display for us. So they don't pass the, t pass the test. They, they have not believed in Christ. And so what we see here in their actions is death. But what about Abraham's example? What about Abraham's example? Of course, now that we've looked at this exchange... We realize that Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews say, but Abraham's died. The prophets have died. Do you think that you're greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so the prophets, so who do you think you are? And then Jesus, in response to this, says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled over what exactly Jesus means by these words. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. But what I want us to consider here is what some of the commentaries state. 
And that is, how exactly did Abraham rejoice at the thought of seeing the day of Jesus Christ? And how did he see it and was glad? Well, many believe that that Jesus is wanting to bring into the mind of his audience in this moment, in the readers of John's gospel, that very moment when Abraham, who was promised by God that his descendants would be as many as the sand on the seashores and the stars in the sky. Abraham and Sarah, that in their old age, as if they were almost dead, finally had a son, Isaac. And then God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, your beloved son. And imagine, imagine with me for a moment that if you were promised by God that your descendants would be a blessing to all the nations, they would be as numerous as the sand on the seashores and the stars in the sky, and that you, in your very old age, have one son, one son, that's it, and God says, I want you to sacrifice him. But Abraham says, okay, God. Okay. And so he gets Isaac and he says, come on, we're going to go. We're going we're gonna to make a sacrifice to the Lord. He's going to show us where we're going to make the sacrifice. And they begin to travel. And, and they're traveling along. And Isaac, he's got the wood on his back. He's got the wood on his back. And they're walking along. And, and Isaac, he turns to his father and in many of the pictures that are painted of this, Isaac's like 10 years old, and most likely he's like 17, 18, 19, so he's not an ignorant little child. Isaac turns to his father, and he says, Father, where's the lamb? And Abraham turns to Isaac and says, God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. And so they come to Mount Moriah, They come, and Isaac's got the wood on his back, and he carries it up the mountain. And Abraham, he prepares the altar, and he puts Isaac on the altar. And he lifts his knife, and then finally the voice of the angel of God, stop. And there in the thicket is a ram. Remember what Abraham said. He said, God will provide the lamb. So, so then we should be keyed into the fact that when Abraham saw that ram, that he would know that's not the lamb that God will provide. A lamb is to come. A lamb is going to come through my lineage, through my ancestry. A lamb is going to come. The lamb of the world that will take away the sin. The lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who will carry the wood up Mount Moriah. The Lamb of God who will be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. And that's exactly what we see. And that's when your father, Abraham, rejoiced. He rejoiced at the thought of seeing that day. The day with the Lamb of God, the Messiah, would take away the sins of the world. He saw it and was glad. What does that mean? Well, if we look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. 
the words that we have here describe to us of the faithful throughout the generations. In verse 17 it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. What is this saying? It's saying that Abraham believed in the resurrection. He believed that if God would have him sacrifice Isaac, that God could resurrect Isaac. And through Isaac, he could see the resurrection of the Son of God to come. The salvation of the Lamb of God. So what's Abraham's example for us here in this passage? Abraham's example for us here in this passage is that he looked forward to the day of Christ, to the Messiah that would come. He saw it and was glad. The irony in what Jesus Christ is saying is that Abraham's seed is standing before Jesus Christ now. They see it and they want to murder him. They couldn't see that in Abraham's story, Isaac carrying the wood on his back up the mountain, Mount Moriah, Calvary, that a cross would come, that a sacrifice needed to be made. Abraham looked forward to it. He saw it and was glad. He had faith. And the coming Messiah. He believed in Christ. And because of that he lives. How is it exactly that Jesus can say. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word. He will never see death. Because Abraham believed in the word of Christ. And Abraham lives. And he lived in this very moment when he said these words. And how can I know that? Because when Jesus Christ was interacting with the Sadducees, those who would deny the resurrection, Jesus said, God is the God of the living and not the dead. And he said, remember the words, I am the God of Abraham, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that mean? It means Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are living. And Abraham could look forward to the day and see it, and see it and be glad, because he believed. He believed in Christ and lived. Now all this is great, right? So we see in the example of the Jews, the epitome, the, the typical, the, the perfect example of unbelief. And we see in Abraham the perfect example of true faith. Even Abraham was put forward to us in the New Testament as that perfect example of faith, right? Believing in God, and God credits him righteousness because of that belief. But why is it, uniquely, why is it that believing in Jesus Christ brings eternal life? Why is it that believing in Jesus Christ brings, brings life? 
And that's why I want to end by looking at Christ's example here in this passage. Because if the reason John wrote his gospel was that you may believe in Jesus and by believing have eternal life, then what is it, why is it, why is it that we need this? These words, John chapter 8, verse 48 through 59. Why do we need these words? I hope that we can see that as we look again at Jesus' example here. What we see going on here is that Jesus in the face of hard-hearted unbelief turns and trusts in his Father without bound. Trusts in his Father to defend him. Trusts in his Father Completely. The Jews accuse him of being Samaritan and demon-possessed. He says, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Verse 50, I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. He is the judge. Verse 54, in response to their accusations, he's claiming to be greater than Abraham. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. In verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was, I am. What do all these things tell us? They tell us something very, very important. They tell us that Jesus' life has much as a purpose as his death does. They tell us that Jesus' life has as much purpose as his death does. Why is that? Because it is in his perfect obedience that he becomes the one, that he is the one that can rightfully go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins. And how is he being that perfectly obedient one for us here in this passage? Christ says, I honor my father, you dishonor me. Christ honors the father because in our sin and rebellion, we dishonor him. Verse 50, I am not seeking glory for myself. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Christ does not seek his own glory because in our sin and pride and arrogance, we seek our own glory. Verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me once again. He is not seeking his own glory. Verse 55, though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Christ knows the Father. Christ is the one who reveals the Father. Christ is the one who shows us who the Father is because because of our sin, we are separated from God. Christ is the one who keeps his Father's word perfectly. He is the one who has not disobeyed, who will not disobey, who's never disobeyed, who is without sin but has been tempted in every way just like us. He keeps his Father's word because we could not. Here is Jesus Christ. 
the one who is greater than Abraham, the one who created Abraham. Here is Jesus Christ who can say, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Not before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I am. Because he's eternal. He has always been. He will always be. He will never end. Christ is the one who is in this passage, the perfect, obedient son of God, the true Israel, the second Adam. Christ here is the one who came and lived a perfect and sinless life so he could go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins, be resurrected three days later, and ascend to sit at the right hand of his father. And that's why believing in Christ brings eternal life. Because you may not see it, but there is an exchange going on in John right here. There's an exchange. The exchange is this. You, me, all of us here. If not for Christ would be the Jews in this passage, spitting in the face of the God-man. But because of Christ and the mercy of God, we are Abraham in this passage. Sinful, imperfect, broken Abraham who looked forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. He saw it and was glad. But unlike Abraham, we look back. We look back at the cross. We look back at the empty tomb. We look back at the ascension. And we say, because of what Christ has done, because he died, because he lived the perfect sinless life, by faith in him, I receive his righteousness, not mine. And because I have faith in him, I have eternal life. Now. That is the hope of the gospel. That's the reason John wrote the gospel of John. So that you may believe in Jesus Christ and by believing have eternal life. That you may not look to yourself. Cast yourself upon your own ability. But you may look to the perfect Savior. Who even in this very passage is living before his father with zero guilt because of his obedience and know that Christ is living this life for you so that he may die on the cross, a perfect sacrifice. To believe in Christ is to have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts and our minds and our hands. That we, as each, as each day passes, may come to love Jesus more and more. May come to know who it is, who is our only comfort in life and death. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.